It's an 18th century dwelling purchased by the McLeod family, and he was a physician. So it was a hospital. During the Civil War, the servant named Jenkins fled the Union Army, and he jumped into the well of the backyard of this house and unfortunately broke his neck. I remember my younger cousin was trying to plan an outlet, and all of a sudden she stopped. She looked up and was nodding her head, and then she went and moved on. And when someone asked, she was like, Jenkins told me not to do it. From the dawn of the spoken word, storytelling has been the backbone of human culture, warning of looming dangers and evoking our most personal fears. What you're about to hear are the real-life experiences of everyday people, brave enough to share their terrifying tales. Tales where the horror hits close to home. I'm your host, Danny. Welcome to the Hometown Horrors Podcast. Listen, if you dare. Welcome back, everybody. We are the Hometown Horrors Podcast, and today we have Barbara, who is part of the intricate teachers network that Olivia's turned me on to. You don't teach at Olivia's school, but your daughter does. Yes, small world. (laughs) (laughs) So I hear you have some haunted house type stories. Well, I had a cousin that lived out in Stevens City, and I would spend a lot of summers there, a lot of holidays there. It's an 18th century dwelling. My aunt actually did an article with the Northern Virginia Daily about it in 2009, I believe. But it was built in 1770 and was purchased by the McLeod family, and he was a physician. So it was a hospital in the Civil War. My brother often states it's probably not just this particular ghost that we would talk about through our childhood, but also probably many other spirits that were present. During the Civil War, the servant named Jenkins fled the Union Army that was rounding up slaves, and he jumped into the well of the backyard of this house and unfortunately broke his neck. So my aunt and my uncle built onto the house in the back. There's blood stains in the part of the house that was the hospital part. And that's where we used to have like our little plays and stuff when we were little. <laughs> they had a bunch of blood stains still on the wood floor and they couldn't get rid of them. So they would cover them. And if they covered them, they would be uncovered or things that were around there would be toppled over or turned. Yeah. My experiences specifically were if we were in the house up in this attic, which you had to go up to the third floor and kind of wind around. It was already creepy because the architecture of the house was not changed. So the latches and the locks were this old-fashioned, like, click Old, antiquated. So in this attic, which was already creepy to me at my age, was carpeted and it had these huge animals painted around the walls. And if you were up there and there were no adults in the home, if it was just you, the door would not shut. Like if you shut it, it would open up. So that happened several times to me. My brother at the time was around 10. He's up there playing by himself with some little soldiers. And he felt this cold breeze. He looked four or five feet away was this like shadowy image standing at the top of the staircase. And then it kind of disappeared. And then he was like, I was out of there as well. (laughs) It was done. (laughs) Yes. Underneath this attic was a room and the windows were nailed shut. And he was sleeping in the bed and there was this poster above his head. And he said he woke up one night and the poster was just flapping back and forth, back and forth. And when he woke up later, he noticed that, well, there was no breeze because the windows nailed yeah, down. Yeah. And then the poster still had the pins in it. 
like just the bottom was pulled out and flapping over his head. And he just went to sleep because it was an experience. He had several in there. So I guess he just chalked it up. My aunt had said a funny thing in her article. Before they bought the house, they hadn't really heard any stories about it being haunted. But the first night in the house, she heard a loud crash. When she went to investigate in her younger daughter's room, she found a large desk had overturned and broken a lamp. And then her daughter sat up in bed and said the ghost did it. And my aunt said she knew that that desk had been placed against a wall where a door had been. So again, they had built on. So they kind of closed a couple of doors. And she said that same day, a local woman arrived to help unpack the family's belongings and told my aunt that the town residents told her she shouldn't help the family because the house was haunted. But my aunt and her uncle and her children lived there for eons. Yeah. Literally just moved out, you know, a couple of years ago. So going back to the desk, it wasn't like one of the legs broken, it toppled over, it was just toppled completely over. Oof. I know she had said at some point when the family first moved into the house, a number of items were moved and broken by unexplained reasons. Once a large mirror fell off the wall into the middle of the room, she inspected the mirror only to find that the wires on the back of the mirror were still intact and the hooks on the wall were in perfect shape. She also said on another occasion, my cousins borrowed a pin that she left on her dresser one evening, and the next day she found the pin back on her own dresser, but my cousin didn't return it. That reminds me of a story we have from somebody that had been to Trans-Allegheny. They found a skeleton key in one of the rooms, and then they go to the polar opposite side of the asylum, and it was right there between the person's legs when he went through the threshold of the doorway. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was more of a friendly ghost, but my aunt shared a story that my uncle once heard someone calling him from another room, but the room was empty. One of her five children often talked about the talking door when she was about three years old, and they suspect that that was possibly Jenkins. I remember my younger cousin sharing to me and the older cousins, because we all just hung out. She was much younger. So she was often, you know, kind of doing her own thing. And she was trying to plan an outlet or something. And all of a sudden she stopped. She looked up and was nodding her head. And then she went and moved on. And when someone asked, she was like, Jenkins told me not to do it. Yeah. So he turned away from that. Yeah. It's bad. But after so many of these kind of weird things happened, my aunt decided to have a little talk with him, (laughs) which is very much like her. One day she was by herself and she said, it's fine for you to stay here, but we're nice people and we like living here. I'd appreciate it if you would stop breaking my things. (laughs) And he stopped breaking things, but he still moved around a lot of things. They lived very contently there. There wasn't a concern or a fear. I don't know if you recall this or are you old enough to recall. We used to have intercoms through the homes. Yeah, yeah. And you would often hear voices coming through the intercom. So when people have like a supernatural ghostly experience, there's the feeling that sometimes it's not necessarily something trying to communicate with you. It's just something happened in that place and you're catching a glimpse of it. Like if you spill wine on a carpet. Just from what you're saying about Jenkins, it sounds like there was actual consciousness. He was very protective of the children in the home. I never felt nervous there. I was more nervous like something would surprise me. But you always felt pretty safe there. It's nice having supernatural experiences that aren't necessarily rooted in fear or some kind of harm coming your way. Very much so. It's like if you were some kind of disembodied consciousness, you know, you can't directly interact with anyone. What would you do? Would you pull a poster out and flap it around? Would you try to knock something over? Mm -hmm. That might have just been a way of communicating. Right. And I remember them talking about pictures on the wall, specifically where I think the hospital primarily was, would often be turned around or taken off the wall. I mean, this house certainly had a lot of history. 
So the school that Olivia did her student teaching was also a war hospital at some point, and they were seeing like somebody in Civil War garb, Mm -hmm. or I guess nurse garb, just walk by a doorway, like someone that was going to a reenactment. Now, I mean, this whole property was really cool for me when I was little, and we were all bummed like that they were going to sell it. But, you know, you got to move on at some point, I guess. Yeah. Well, I do remember I would be sleeping in my cousin's room, and I'd, you know, just go to the bathroom or something. I remember seeing a figure in the hallway. Not really registering it so much because it's nighttime, you know, you're barely awake. Right. I think the spookiest parts of that house for me and spooky meaning I just was expecting something to happen was the attic and my uncle's office was in that side of the house, too. So that's where you felt the most energy or lack of better word. It's weird what things get interacted with. Have you ever seen that show Ghost? There's like a BBC version. Yes. It kind of reminds me of that. Like there's the uh, ghost of the politician that died there and he can only touch things slightly. Right. There's like the caveman that got electrified when he died so he can make the lights flicker a little bit. I wonder if there is an actual (laughs) relation between that and whatever. It sounds like it with with the door, right? The door that they covered up. I don't remember that particular door. That might have been more in the upstairs part or the part that my brother spent more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really spent more of my time in the piano room because we would play piano. And like I said, do those nice embarrassing plays and musical kind of things we did. I would go in my uncle's office. He had a really cool Pac-Man arcade game. <laughs> <laughs> but again, the energy there was always kind of thick for me. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time outside of those two rooms playing. What about, not related to the house at all, but just in your life, have you had any supernatural experiences there? My best friends and I are very much interested in this spiritual connection of things. And I do feel those things throughout my life. My best friends and I were doing a Ouija board in her house where both her parents unfortunately passed. I lived there for several years. so I was very close to that family. Still am. And when we would do the Ouija board in college, it always came up with the initials of, you know, who will so-and-so marry? And it came (laughs) up with initials and it was actually the initials of the guy she ended up marrying. Oh, that's crazy. Our very last time we did it, it just moved by itself and all of us took our hands off. And then it kept spelling Z-O-Z-O. And according to my friend, that meant something very bad. That's a demon that comes through Ouija boards. And if you look up, there's several movies about that. Z-O-Z-O specifically? Mm -hmm. And it kept spelling it and spelling it and spelling it. And I probably being that friend, I was like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> do oh, that's it. cool. <laughs> and then my, my best friend was probably like, oh my gosh, what is that? He's, we can't do it anymore. She packed up the game, never had it back in her house. That's the most unsettling thing about trying to communicate with something from the beyond, though, because it's essentially like dating apps. You could be getting catfished by a spirit. They have that in movies all the time. You know, Insidious, you think you're talking to your grandmother, but you don't know what right. is actually communicating true. with you. They take advantage of a vulnerability. Yeah. And I think it's true, especially when you lose someone very close, your parents or your grandparents. I can't go to the cemetery. I just feel like that's such a disconnect. Like my brother can go and my mom would go to see my father and just sit there. And I would just be like, this is empty. I feel weird being here. It's not where they were alive. So it doesn't have that energy. True. Yeah. I'm very empathetic in nature. My husband and I joke it's my superpower and the job I do. I think you have to have that kind of ability to feel some energy from emotions. It's odd what you remember when you have conversations about this. My biological father was passing and I was pregnant with my third child. We went to visit him. My husband and I went in by ourselves and he would just look beside me and talk to someone else. I worked in a nursing home for quite a while and a rehab center. 
And there were always things that would pop up when you'd go see someone that you knew was unfortunately transitioning. And when my dad was in the house, when he passed with us, I would look for signs all over the place, but it was just so surreal. But when my mom passed, I remembered I was with her as well. And I would look around the room like, dad, come make her feel comfortable. And there was just a sense of calm that you knew something was there. And that's nice to have too. Death can be such a grisly thing for people. The ability to have some kind of reassurance or calm in those moments is very valuable. We've had a number of stories about people recounting the passing of grandparents. Mm -hmm. Olivia specifically had been trying to see her grandfather a lot from college just because it was getting to be time that he was going to pass. So she'd been making a lot of trips down to see him, but Mm -hmm. nothing happened. And she woke up thinking like, oh, this is the day. I need to go now. So she emailed a professor. She shot down there as quickly as she could. When she walked into the room with them, the rest of her family was gathered there and they were listening to, I think it was old Elvis records. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Return to Sender came on when Olivia came in and uh, her aunt was talking to her grandfather and like, you know, Olivia's here. It's okay. And he passed very shortly after that, maybe within a few minutes. And there was like a big gust that went out the window. That's exactly what happened with my dad. Some of the kids were home and he was in hospice, but he'd said to me, the minute I go into that bed, that's when I'm going. Yeah. And so he went in maybe two days before and we had his old 20s music playing throughout the house. It was a beautiful fall day. We had windows open and sorry. It's okay. And when he passed, it was peaceful. We had this breeze going through and music. I mean, it's a cool path to transition. Yeah. For them and for others, but really for them to watch the body decline. But when they go, it's very peaceful. Yeah. I often tell friends, if you have that opportunity to be there when that moment happens, it's just something that lives with you. And it's also you gain kind of an understanding about the circle of life a little bit better if you can see it happen. True. Being in the nursing home, which is why I left. I got to see that happen so often. And again, it's just a cruel path to get there, but it's nice to be there for somebody when they're going through it. But They would always kind of stare off behind you and talk. And I always thought it was just someone saying, I'm here. You're good. And that's a common thing for a number of people. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me share that. Thank you for coming. I'm a little emotional. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's a cleansing experience to tell these stories. Certainly felt that way. Thank you for coming on, Barbara. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And see you folks next time. Now those were some frightfully fun stories. Howdy everybody, it's me, your host Danny, and I wanted to let you in on something special. You might have noticed that when I introduce the show, I say we are the Hometown Horrors Podcast. That's because there will always be at least three people in each episode. Me, the person who wants to hear a good story, the guest, the teller of a good story, and you, the listener, that takes that story and carries it with you out into the world. And we make up a special kind of trinity. We are the Hometown Horrors Podcast. And if you ever want to graduate from listener to guest, reach out to us via our handle on Instagram, hometown underscore whores underscore podcast. Our email is the hometown whores podcast, no spaces at gmail.com or via text or phone call at 571-358-8880, which FYI is not my personal number, but give it a ring. I'll get back to you because if there's anything I've learned from doing the podcast is that everybody has a story and that story deserves to be heard. On your number one source for the most spine-tingling, gut-wrenching, insomnia-inducing stories around the Hometown Horrors Podcast.